Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jota, Dundalk and Cavan. Order your new 221 Renault today from our extensive Renault range. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. May I say first, thank you so much for all of the Christmas cards. Another ball of them arrived this morning. In case you're just uh, joining us on the show, I haven't been listening uh, last week. I'm asking listeners to send me in a Christmas card this Christmas time. And when you send me a card with your name and details, I need those. I'm returning a card to you from the Gary Kelly Cancer Support Centre, signed by myself, and I'll put a little message in them as well. And we're supporting the centre this year because when you buy cards from them, you really are helping them at this time and they need all the help they can get. And I don't have to remind you, they've helped thousands of people across Louth and Mead and beyond. But thank you sincerely for the Christmas cards. Keep them coming to us. Hope you had a nice weekend. The weather wasn't too bad. Lovely day yesterday. And uh, we're all fit and raring to go here in late lunch with another week of the programme. We begin today with two absolutely legends of Irish music. They were part of the biggest selling Irish album of all time. And I'm talking today, I was going to talk to them in one context and then, big God, the goalpost moved again with COVID in recent days. So I'm sure we're going to take a little bit of a different angle on this. But I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch. She's been with me on a couple of occasions here on the show, Frances Black. And for the first time, Mary Coughlin. Hello, ladies. How are you? Hi, Hi Jerry. How's it going? Oh, I'm really good. Oh, girls, what the hell is going on? You must be there tearing your hair out, Frances. Demented, absolutely demented at this point. Oh my God, Jerry and Mary is the same. We've been kind of on to each other about this. Mary has been doing loads of media about it. Um, mm. We're very concerned. We're very worried. I've had gigs cancelled myself already, um, and it looks looks like going forward we might have to move out a few more gigs. And yeah, it's a very worrying time. But look, at it's really worrying for musicians, the musicians as well, and the people who work all behind the scenes and. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a very, very scary time coming up to Christmas. You know, I mean, all my family are all in the industry. Do you know what I mean? My son is a is a mm. musician. He's dependent on it. Do you know, he's dependent on, on, on earning a few bob. He's two small children. It's just a really, really tough time. Um, and Mary can say more about it. Mary, I know you're... you're you're looking at cancelling a few gigs as well. Mm. Yeah, Mary, come in there because I just saw you posting on Twitter in the last couple of days. Uh, you've uh, musicians engaged and all. They came off the PUP uh, specifically to get back working again. They wanted to and now they're back to square one. So honest, 
and, and wonderful, the guys, I have four guys that I, I employ, you know, but I can't give them any any support myself, you know, because I can't, you know, I can't pay them. Mm. So they all came off the PUP and, on, in October, and now I wrote them all a letter this morning, four of them this morning, with the cancellations that we had. And I have had gigs cancelled since the Omicron thing was announced on the 27th of November. The next morning, two gigs were cancelled. Mm. Um, which would have been Galway, I should have been in Galway tonight. So even before the restrictions come in, the cancellations came in already. And it's through no fault of our own. And, you know, we, we, we take the hit on behalf of the country. We have paid our taxes and we have to go cap in hand now again, you know, looking for pop and different sports. And I know there was a big meeting with the minister this morning and all the representatives from um, NIA and um, LCSS and the hotels and the bars, you know, we're just absolutely decimated now again. And it is Christmas. And me turning around this morning, writing to the guys by name and with my little sign, you know, thing at the end, I went back to bed and I had a good cry because I just can't stand it anymore. It's just a constant reschedule. And Francis knows, and everybody in this, my gigs were rescheduled from April 2020 five and six times and it's the disappointment every time and it is really affection I can say for myself I am really struggling this time more so than ever before with mental health you know because you've you, you've you've been you know interviewed extensively and I've been following you as well uh, through uh, the time from the first lockdown right through and I have to say you know it, you've made it clear how difficult it's been for you uh, to survive yourself keep your head above water Francis just back to you because you're a, a member of the Oireachtas you know what's going on in there as well and like for government even it's it's a situation that's unprecedented is there any answer to this? I mean, I wish I wish I knew. I understand that obviously we have to follow the health guidelines for the safety of you know the people of this country. And like I think, from a, a performer's point of view, and from the musicians that I I, I am I try and present, I represent in the Oireachtas, um, it's devastating. And I, and I know it's very hard, you know, to to try and really get your head around it. And as Mary said. It's the impact on mental health, you know, that's, and that's really, I, I'm, I'm the chair of the Cross Party Rocks Mental Health Committee, mm. well, the subcommittee. And I think that's the worst part of it. But I know everybody's been impacted by it, you know what I mean, from a mental health with anxiety and stress and worry, you know. But I think for musicians, it's the whole thing around mental health and then that uncertainty. You know, and there's almost like a feeling of, you know, nobody really, really gets it or really cares because, you know, people think our oh, musicians should, they're doing it for the love of it, but it's people's livelihoods. You know, there's people's children dependent on, you know, on musicians and performers working. You know, people think that it's like a hobby or something. And I suppose that's what I try and do. I'm, as Mary said, I'm on the Cross Party co- Committee on the Music and Artists Association of Ireland. Um, and we try and do our best to get the voices heard of the musicians who are really, really and truly. And Mary is on, and Mary is actually on the committee as well, outside of the Oireachtas. I'm on the inside of the Oireachtas and Mary's on the outside. 
and you know they're they're doing a really really good job the Music and, and yeah. Artists Association of Ireland and we try and be the voice of the musicians and artists and all of those who are being impacted mm. you know by, by this by yes. this absolute devastation Mary can I come back to you does it expose a, um, a deficiency that's really come to the fore now that you never expected you know you've both had long careers started as young women had great times but you know uh, I'm, I'm thinking about the whole area of a form of security where people in, in mainstream jobs pay into a pension there is a backup for a lot of people you know when, when you look at this now is this a glaring hole in, in the whole entertainment music industry yeah and it was actually uh, Barry Donahoe my best player he's, he's one, one of the best of the country and he pointed it out to me this morning he said this, he won't mind me mentioning him because you know he knows you know, he, he just said it's not just you know we're expecting now to live on 350 quid Again, but like if I need a tooth, I don't have a medical card, I don't mm. have any private health insurance. If your car breaks down, you know, it's... Yes. And, and we don't have a pension fund. We, do, we don't have any security. And we do this and we go into this life because, and people do take it for granted, they think, oh, you're just a musician or you're just a singer yes. or a dancer or a poet or an actor because you love it. And of course you love it. And that's why people love us and hold us in high regard. And we do the very best. Boys in my band work so hard for, for, for to be as good as they are. You know, they go to college and they learn and they practice. Still, it's kept them together. And I'll say this for every one of them. It's kept their heads together for the past year, practicing five and six hours a day. That's what they've done, mm. you know, for, for upcoming projects and yes. for, for the day. If we thought we'd be, we worked it again, you know. Mm, but it and does. It's really, it's really, it is, it's a terrible inequality. Yes. And other countries, and I've said it before, and I've, and I've outlined the countries that support their artists 365 days a year, for, for always. France, Holland, Scandinavian countries, get paid a salary. Mm. You just apply for it, you're a full time musician, and if you only do five gigs that year, they pay you what you might be getting if you were just a regular uh, worker, you know, like, mm. uh, you know, you know, 35,000 a year or whatever. Yes. Because of your contribution to society. Mm. And we always do, and Francis does, we were the first up there on the television on, in, in May 2020, um, raising money on the Late Late Show for people in, in need yes. and theatre. And always, our scout, I was up at the Auris, um singing for the president of Germany when he came over there a while ago because... And, and my band because you know that's what we do we're asked that we do it and we're glad to represent our country and you know we love it we take pride in what we do and I have no I have no capacity left today to to really you know be proud of what I am you feel useless I feel useless but mm. I can't do anything for the lads in the band or anything mm. But look, Mary, don't feel like that. I say to you, don't, don't, Mary, because you know it's a dark spiral. If you, if you, I don't have to remind you of this. If you, if you, if that gets in on you, like at the end of the day, it's across the board here. You're affected. So many other people are as well. And there will be brighter days ahead. There will be better days. We always live in hope, and and do keep that hope with you, Francis. Just to come back to you a second, that point I made there. It is now the chickens are coming home to roost, aren't they? About this, because as Mary said there, you know, it's been, you know, you you love what you do you you pick up the gigs you get you go on on an ad hoc basis and when times are good they're good when they're poor they're desperately poor but Francis something really this has to be looked at hasn't it 100% it's 100% and I just feel 
you know, as I said to you, like, I really work hard on being the voice for those, for the musicians and the artists in this country because we are needed. We are needed just as much as any other sector, if you know what I mean. And, you know, like, people love coming to our gigs and it's really important for, for for our Irish culture you know, for Irish people to be able to come and, and it lifts the hearts of people. It's a tough time, you know, and we're definitely needed at this time. So, look, I, you know, look, there's meetings happening today. We're, we're waiting to hear the out, the outcome of those meetings. We're, we're waiting to hear the announcements today. Um, and I'm hoping, and I do think that I, at this time, because of the work that MEAI are doing, I actually do think we're getting heard. I actually do think we're getting heard at this time. So, look, I'm hopeful that the government can hear us, you know, that those, you know, the likes of Catherine Martin and 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 I think they're, they're meeting with uh, Leo Radker today. Uh, they met with Emmy, um, with the Taoiseach last week. So, look, there is meetings going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of stuff happening. I do believe that they're getting heard. Now, what the actual action is taken, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, but we'll see. We'll see after this week and, and look, fingers crossed and we have to stay, I know we have to stay strong and musicians out there have to stay strong. It's very hard for them at this time coming up to Christmas with gigs being cancelled, you know, people, like, they have to pay their bills, you know, and they want to get Christmas presents for their children. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, and it's really, really difficult. It really is difficult. And I know this, I, I appreciate you giving this some airtime, Jerry. Oh, really, not at all. Not at all. And, and I, it I, is I, very, very important. Yeah. And I just want people out there to understand mm. how hard it is for musicians in general, as you say, yeah. you know, they don't have the perks. You know, you, t- you, ha- you have to take work when you get the work. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, musicians who go out and they play, you know, they might they might go and, and, and do gigs, you know, with in big venues. And then when they're not doing that, they're going playing in the pub sessions just to try and yes. earn a living. You yes. know what I mean? And, and rightly so. And they are doing a phenomenal job. Do you know what I mean? They mm. keep the people, they keep the spirits of this pe- of the people in this country, they keep the spirits of the people up. Yes. And that's what's really important. And we have to continue to do that. And that's why our, the sector is so important. It's yeah, so important hugely. And I understand, you know, you hustle. And that's what it is about. And as I said, when times are good, they're good. And when they're bad, mm. uh, it's the other end of things as well. But look, before we finish, I just want to mention, you are down, Mary Coughlin, <laughs> Francis Black and Sharon Shannon. Let's finish yeah. on a positive note here to play yeah. the magnificent TLT yeah. in Drogheda yeah. on March the 4th. And please, oh, God, that's please going to happen. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're hopeful. We're hopeful that by by that stage, that it's going to be going ahead. You know mm. what I mean? It mm. might be a reduced capacity, but we're asking people to get Christmas presents, buy Christmas presents yeah. for your family members. Come out to see us. You know, it's going. It is a honestly, myself, Mary, and Sharon. We're three best mates. We love each other. We hang out together. We have a great crack. We look forward to the gigs. And it is a great night of entertainment. And we just, we never know what's going to happen at the end of the night ourselves. We, myself, Mary and Sharon, we do all, about half an hour each separately. And then at the end of the night, we dig, we do a big, you know, it's a big hoolie at the end. Yes. It's just great crack and it's uh, great fun and we have a great laugh. That's and the I, message. I encourage people to come. March yes. 4th in TRT. March the 4th and a great Christmas present indeed. And you're supporting the industry. Chin up, girls. Great to talk yes. to you today. Oh, thanks very much for giving us Thanks, you're a legend. Not at all. God bless you both. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye, Mary. Bye, Francis. Ah, it's tough on them, isn't it? It really is tough on them. And this was never seen, never seen that this was coming around the corner in the past uh, until this pandemic came. And as I say, it's a very, it's a very precarious industry. And when you're on the top, you're on the top. But certainly when you 
hit times like this where you have no gigs, etc. It is Armageddon. We wish them well. I'm going to say hello to a familiar lady, to late lunch listeners. She was once uh, one of our women with opinions and she's back with me today on the line. Caroline Kavanagh. Hello. Hello. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm good, but Caroline, you weren't so good late last week. Tell us the story. What happened? Oh, my goodness. And this is a warning to ladies and gents to keep their wits about them and keep their money and purses close to them. I was, I had been shopping in a local supermarket and was stopped along the North Road at traffic lights, North Road in Drogheda, and at traffic lights there. And suddenly a car pulled up behind me. Fair enough, the traffic lights were red. But then the, a man opened my passenger door in a flash, grabbed my bag, hopped out and um, hopped back into the waiting car and sped away. So the car pulled up behind you. So this and there person... Were two people. One two- man was there. Yep. turning As one man got out, the other guy must have turned the car. So the guy grabbed my bag and was ready to take off in the car, which was turned to go back the way it had come. It's so it was a well-executed and familiar procedure they oh, put in practice, obviously. Absolutely, absolutely. Jerry. it did not take five seconds for yeah. the whole thing to be over. You know, it felt like a lifetime. But the shock of the whole thing was horrendous, you know. My, oh, my. They didn't say anything or yeah. touch me or yes. assault me or anything like that. Yeah. And yeah. Caroline, your bag, of course, then all your cards and details, oh, everything's cards, gone, is it? Yeah. All that sort of stuff. And I did extra few bob in it because, you know, coming up to Christmas, there was yeah. cash that I would not normally mm, have. Mm. You know, because I think nowadays people pay most stuff with their phone, you know, tap your phone. So, yes. like, you don't even need your card. Luckily, I don't leave my phone in my bag. You know, it's generally in my pocket or yeah. put it on the seat under me for some strange reason. And uh, I had that in my hand, so I leapt out Yeah. after the guy and took photographs of the car as it was leaving. Good. So I have photos of the car and um, the registration and all that sort of thing, which I gave to the guard straight away. But then I, when I was standing on the side of the road, shouting profanities at uh, the, the car as it sped away, I was afraid maybe there was a third person there about to hop into my car yes. and drive away. Hmm. But there wasn't, thank God. doesn't cross your mind because in the spur of the moment... You want to defend your property and you want to yeah. try and find out who these people are. Well, that is very positive. So you got the reg of the car, you got the pictures of the car. So there we have something. Hopefully they're not false plates or that. Uh, something I think to go they were, on. Because oh. it came up as a different right. type of car. But now I have to say, my car, I was. Ah, oh, Caroline, let's get her back there. We've just lost it. We just lost Caroline Cabinet. Gremlins in the system there. Uh, isn't that just a, a dread altogether? You know, parked at lights and the next thing in a flash, your handbags taken and all your cards, money, etc. She was lucky she held on to the phone. North Road in Drogheda last week sometime. Sounds like a really professional operation to me. Caroline, you're back. Yeah, sorry. You're sorry okay, you're that. okay. These I things happen. That I was followed from yes. the car park of the supermarket I was in. Okay. Because most cars now, you just click with your car key yeah. as you're coming towards it. But as I said, I was in my daughter's older car and um, you have to open it with a key. So therefore, somebody will be alerted. There's no central locking straight away. Yes. yes. So I have a feeling I was t- watched, targeted and followed. Do you mind saying where you were, where you were doing your shopping? I, what? Was, on, I was in Lidl, yeah. um, up on 
the north side of Drogheda. Okay. Grand spot. Yes. And they have plenty of CCTV there. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the whole thing has been downloaded by the guards. To have a look so at. So the guards yeah. are doing a fantastic job. And then I came back down towards Aldean across the cement road. So I was at the junction of Cement Road and um, the North Road there is if you're heading for the Lord's Yes, yeah, so that's, that's where it happened, yes. Many, many traffic lights on. They're very slow. Yes, they are. They are. I'm familiar with them. So there's plenty of time for them not to change. You know? Isn't that even more chilling to think that somebody would be watching you and, you know, seeing that it is a car, a vulnerable car that wouldn't have that central lock? Because normally in my car, I don't know anywhere you get in and it locks the doors anyway. Now, the other thing they yeah. do, and I don't want to frighten anybody, but that doesn't stop them because they can just put the glass in like a shot, you know what I mean? And and that's even more distressing if something like that happens. But yeah. um, isn't that interesting? That, well, that gives me a bit of the shivers. I feel someone walked over my grave there. You know that shiver you get in your back when you think of somebody well, actually yeah. watching you, so you know? I had, like most women, I had put the shopping on the back seat and threw my bag in on the passenger seat. Not yeah. giving a second thought of, you know, yes. this has never happened to me before and, mm. or to anybody else I know well. Mm. so since then I've been speaking to other women and they say oh I always put the bag in under the driver's seat yes you know, in under their legs yes but then I'd be afraid maybe of something rolling out mm. Mm. And, yeah as you're you know, driving yeah, 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 yeah you know the bits and pieces you have in a bag mm, I know I know I know but still Caroline it's a real warning to people that leaving the bag on the passenger side or anything that you value your phone or anything don't do it keep it as closely as you can don't do it. And yes, and maybe at this time of year, <clears throat> when people are carrying a bit more cash probably with them, um, maybe get one of those, you know, over across the chest bags that you can put yes. in under your, under your coat, something like that. But I have to say here, I rang 999 and they said, we'll get the guards to come to you. I said, no, 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 I'll drive on down. Went down to the barracks in Drogheda. There were a few female guardy there, absolutely, well, there were male ones as well, but they dealt with me and they're absolutely fantastic. I have to mention Garda Tracy Leach was just fabulous looking mm. after me, mm. got me water. And of course, I was shaking so much the water was being spilt from one to the other guard yeah. <laughs> across them. But they were very understanding, very kind, very supportive. And the next day, um, the next day, the Garda victims. Victim support unit yes. rang me from Dunmere, yeah. which was very nice. I think Mary was her name. Yeah. And now I followed up on it today, just before I, um, your call, just to see had anything happened. And yes, there is a bit of good news, Jerry. Go on. The bag was thrown away in Balbriggan, okay. and some kind person in Balbriggan brought it to the Garda station. And my bag is there with my the leather purse, all my cards, like driving license and, you know, all the yes. my Tesco card and things like that. They're all there. I presume there's no money in it. Well, it I'd really say that's... It doesn't matter. It's only yeah. cash. Yeah, but um, those cards, had you cancelled everything? I had, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, you've got the bag back. You've got your purse back. You can be sure they took every cent out of it. That's, that's uh, without that. But good on that person. I have to say thank you very, very, very much to the good, kind-hearted Samaritan there in Balbriggan who just, they didn't know me from Adam and yet they picked up this bag and handed it in two days later. So, yeah. fantastic. Fantastic. Thank well, you. Well, Caroline... Thank you, guards, and thank you yes. to the people around. And a word of warning. A word... Your bags. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is a word of warning and it is a distressing time and it does shake you when something like this happens. But we, we want to say they are isolated incidents, but you can mitigate against them by, uh, first of all, it's ideal to have a car that locks itself, number one, but not all cars have that. We understand that. But put your bag, put your phones close by. Don't leave them on the seat beside you and do be aware wherever you go because there are always people on the make and this story really shows you that. But look, anyway, you have the bag yeah, back. We can, at this time of year, especially, yep. we can be distracted by many yes. other things. You're looking at Christmas lights in the houses yep. or on the streets, which, you know, and the town of Drogheda has done up so beautifully this year. But also you may have children saying, oh, mammy, I want, you know, whatever they're thinking of for Christmas. There's a lot of distractions that can yes. happen when you're in the car. So just don't, or, or out on the street. You know, yes. you might put your bag down. And I went from my NCT on Friday and I didn't have my driving license. Mm. So I was telling the man the story and he took other ID I had with me. Yeah. And um, then the lady in the queue behind me said, oh my God, I was robbed in Tesco in Dundalk two weeks ago. Mm. Another shopper, she um, let go ahead of her, picked up the woman's purse along with her shopping and disappeared. It was all on CCTV. Yeah. The guards, she was able to be identified. The guards went up, they got the purse from the other woman. Yes. But she said, I've spent the money. Yeah, you know, and that's that. So yeah, this person was not as vigilant as they should be. Yeah. put the purse down with the shopping. So just don't be distracted by anything, especially at this time of the year when there is yeah. so much going on. Caroline, thank you for telling yeah. your story thank to you, us today, Jerry. and wish you and well. It will save somebody's purse. Yes, somewhere. it will indeed. Thank you very much. Thanks for talking to us again, Caroline. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Caroline Cavanagh there. Anything like that happened to you or have you anything to add to what Caroline had to say? Uh, listener there to say, really, Jerry, all women driving should have sent her locking in the car when driving, especially around Christmas time because of these type of incidents. I know most cars have of an age, but if you have an older car, it doesn't have that. And that's just the way of the world. But you are right. Central locking and that it locks when you get in is the preferable way. Late lunch, LMFM radio. Uh, in a moment, we are turning the clock back 100 years with historian Sean Collins. This island's destiny was charted, well, from then until the present. Or is it ever charted or will it ever be? Anyway, uh, the articles of agreement were signed for the uh, Anglo-Irish Treaty that followed in London. And to talk to us about it is a man that knows the ins and outs, historian Sean Collins. Hello again, Sean. Good afternoon, Terry. Thanks for joining us again on the show. Can I start by saying that to you? I've been reading a lot about it over the weekend. They were really articles of agreement rather than a treaty. Yes, the, the plenipotentiaries, as they're titled, signed an agreement to present the treaty to the doll. And the actual vote uh, on the debate on vote on the treaty itself took place uh, between then uh, the 6th of December on, uh, and was finally voted upon on the 4th of January. But uh, what they signed was an agreement, uh, but it was presented then as the treaty, and in the acrimonious debates that followed, uh, many titles and words were twisted, uh, leading to a very uh, sort of sad era in our history. But there's no denying the signing on the 6th of December 1921 and the early hours of this day 100 years ago was indeed the most momentous event uh, that happened in Irish history since, I think, Trin McCool. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't mean that in any facetious yes. way. Effectively, it led to the foundation of the state and eventually the declaration of the Republic by John A. Costello in 1948. But when you look back on the year 
uh, the things that had happened, which we reviewed on your program yes. uh, the last few months. Um, between 1917 and 1921, uh, our period identified as our War of Independence, uh, we had lost 2,400 people uh, through fatalities from war. Uh, one of they were uh, civilians, IRA volunteers, British Army, RIC, Black and Dan's, uh, Loud and Mead. 28 people died in County Loud. Mead, 17 died. In the six months, in the first six months, June, January to June of 1921, there were 1,400 deaths, uh, all violent deaths, uh, because of the conflict of the period we know as our uh, War of Independence. Uh, a truce came into play in July the 11th when an exchange of telegrams between Eamon de Valera and Lloyd George, the British Prime Minister, brought about a truce. Um, it's important to note that some people seem to think that the, the treaty was what divided Ireland uh, in a north-south uh, situation, but it wasn't. The Government of Ireland Act, uh, which was established on the June 22, 1921, with the opening of the Northern Ireland Parliament, that was the actual act that divided Ireland. It wasn't um, a legacy of the treaty. Um <laughs> That's interesting, Sean, because just come back to that for a moment, because I just could have focused on that for a second with you, because they were chaotic times. I was just reading a lot about it over the weekend. You know, the three that went to London, uh, Griffith, uh, Barton and Collins, uh, were back in Ireland on the Saturday, then had to go back over again and they virtually got no sleep. And, and there's a feeling that it was signed. They signed under duress. And as well as that, you had seven cabinet ministers at the time, uh, Carl Brewer and Austin Stack against it. Cosgrave sitting on the fence. De Valera hedging his bets. It was we were, we weren't united from an Irish point of view going in. We we certainly weren't. You know, it, it was very fractious initially. After the truce came into place, the British government made an offer of dominion status for Ireland, and um, that was in July. In August, De Valera say, responded to that, saying he would accept one of external association, as he called it. It would leave Ireland outside the British Empire, but externally associated with it for matters of mutual concern, such as defence. This was rejected by the British, and uh, de Valera announced that he would not participate in the negotiations, but would hold himself in reserve as the final arbiter of whatever final terms were offered. Um, the Irish side agrees to talks in September, and uh, to ascertain how the association of Ireland within the community of nations known as the British Empire might best be reconciled with Irish national aspirations. By October, talks between the Irish and British delegations began in Downing Street. December the 4th, after seven weeks of negotiations, the British present the Irish side with a draft treaty. It offers dominion status, but also includes an oath of allegiance on a boundary commission to deal with the issue of Ulster. On December 3rd, a fractious Irish cabinet meeting agrees 4-3 to three to accept the draft terms. The state's fourth future leader, Cosgrave, cast a decisive vote in favour of the treaty. De Valera secured a pledge from Martha Griffith that the Irish delegation will not sign the treaty until it is referred back to the cabinet. And like that's the real contentious yes. issue. Of, did they sign or did they not after a day and night of negotiations, the Anglo-Irish Treaty is signed as an agreement to present the treaty. The Irish delegates sign it without referring back to Dublin. 
Yeah. That's the real contention. Yeah, and that, that, that is the bone of contention, and still to this day. But look at De Valera, I think he knew what was what, and he was, you know what I mean, he was, he was cute. He didn't go there. He should have been leading the bloody delegation, but he held back. Well, that's the argument uh, that's been going on for so long, Jerry, about the treaty. Because the, the other thing, if you read the debates in, in the doll, the debates became very acrimonious and personalised and laid the foundations for the civil war that was just around the corner. Uh, people like Collins saw the treaty as a way to move forward. Uh, but Mary McSweeney, Terence McSweeney's sister, became very hostile and acrimonious in our viewpoint. Dan Breen said if the treaty was the result, he'd never have fired a gun for Ireland. Now, it wasn't De Valera's finest day by any means. He led the country into a, a civil war over a treaty that 10 years later he could walk going into government. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Gavin Duffy told the Dáil on December 24th, I am going to recommend this treaty to you very reluctantly, but very sincerely, because I see no alternative. Yeah, now, now, just stay there for a second, alternative. What would have happened? Because Lloyd George threw papers in the air, they say, or whatever, when, you know, it didn't look like the Irish side would sign. What would have happened if there was no agreement, Sean? Well, Lloyd George threatened immediate war. Uh, we don't know if that would have happened or not, but it seems kind of likely that it would have. Uh, he said he had a gunboat on standby to bring uh, letters to Craig in Northern Ireland to tell them to effect immediate war uh, to resolve the situation in Ireland. So that was the big threat. Uh, Collins knew that the IRA could not sustain a war. They didn't either have the munitions or the organisation to deal against an empire like Britain. Uh, so he saw the treaty as a stopgap, a chance to move forward. So the threat was war and the pressures on the signatories must have been immense. You know, they yeah. were dealing you know, Lloyd George was called the, the wizard, the, the Welsh wizard, because he was such a, an experienced negotiator. Mm. Uh, they were dealing with the cream of the crop as far as Britain was concerned. Winston Churchill was at the table as well, and Birkenhead. So the Irish guys were really up against it. And Devalier was card of holding back would seem to many to have been the sensible thing to do, mm. but it has caused such debate and the civil war caused such de- so many deaths and brother fighting against brother in a country where they had fought together, united for the previous couple of years. Mm. Now they would end up totally divided all on the issue of the treaty. And you see, Sean, the Boundary Commission, where Collins sort of felt that, uh, you know, when this would, would look at the situation in Ireland, that Fermanagh and Tyrone would actually become part of the new free state. And then you would be left with four counties that there was a feeling it, it might not have been viable at that stage. I, I, I think that was a pipe dream. Uh, the six-county uh, uh, province of Ulster was set up with a structure planned to hold a unionist majority. A mm. uh, majority at the time, I think it was 69% uh, to 31. And that's the structure that was put in place, and they were not going to change that. The, the, Ulster, the Boundary Commission gave absolutely nothing uh, to error. 
Yeah. So uh, the six counties were set up, and as you said, that was really formed er- earlier in the year. What about Northern Ireland nationalists? You know, when this happened, I often think about them. And you, you mentioned they were thirty what thirty thirty one percent there at the yeah. the time. It's fairly well changed now in in the last hundred years. But if you put yourself in their shoes, they were absolutely uh, cast adrift. Uh, they had been very much a part of the whole uh, Republican struggle uh, for a free Ireland. And they were literally cut adrift by uh, the Free State Government with the treaty. Uh, they were left in a minority situation in the North Ireland. And we can look back on the sad uh, 100 years of history, well, at least 90 of them until we got a Good Friday Agreement, um, the sad situation for Catholic stroke nationalists Indeed, nationalists or Republicans of all views. Um, it's greatly changed now. It's been very interesting to see uh, what will happen at the next general election in Northern Ireland because a recent uh, paper on, from the political workshop in Oxford University pointed out that the breakdown is now 40-40-20. And yes. uh, that's really going to be, that's going to show an interesting result. It and certainly in many is. ways, it's a legacy of the treaty. Sean, before we finish today, and I've asked you this question in the past, and I'm going to pin you to the to the to, to the floor again today on this one, and um, it's this: Could a different scenario have emerged where Ireland would have remained as a single independent entity, or is that again just something that couldn't happen? I politically, it wasn't going to be allowed to happen. I, I think if you look back at the record going back to the 1900s, you can see that the general practice among the British was to get rid of Ireland. It was a nuisance. They wanted an end to it. But then you still had all sorts of conflicts of interest on behalf of different people and lords and elections and politics, politics being about power and the hold of power. And so the a uh, six-county structure was an easy way out in 1921. Uh, interesting, interesting indeed. Uh, look, Sean, I'm going to leave it there for today, but the story rolls on because we have 22 approaching fast and, my God, talk about momentous years, 100 years on. We'll be back to you for sure. Thank you for the context today and, and uh, you know, in, in layman and woman's terms, explaining what happened all that time ago in a time that has reverberations today and will have beyond today as well. Sean, thanks a million. Take care, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's historian Sean Collins there. On this day, 100 years ago, yes, the articles were signed that led to the Anglo-Irish Agreement. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Coming up next on the show, work behaviourist and HR specialist Fiona Buckley is with us. Winding down for Christmas. What? Winding down for Christmas? You're joking me. Stay with us on Late Lunch. Now, it won't be long till we're breaking for the Christmas, and it's a lovely break this year, it really is, uh, off from uh, the prior to the Christmas till the 4th of January with the bank holiday on the Monday in the new year, the 3rd of January. So, what about winding down for Christmas, leaving the office and work behind? We're going to talk about it for the next while with a woman who knows all about this whole area. She's a corporate leadership facilitator, empowerment and executive coach, thought leader, work behaviourist, and she knows about HR in the workplace too. Fiona Buckley, welcome back to the show. 
Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm really, really good. I was just thinking here before uh, you came on about, you know, this whole thing of winding down and with homeworking now part and parcel of the working life and back big time in recent weeks and technology combined, you can't leave the office behind at all, Fiona. I know, I know. And this is why I kind of want to chat about this topic today, Jerry. is winding down this year is really crucial because the year we've actually had, and it's so hard to believe that this is the second COVID Christmas that we're going into. So winding down is really essential this year. So I'm looking forward to sharing some tips with you today. So how, you know, we're working away now and we'll be working right up to to the cusp of Christmas as well. Is it a good idea, you know, to work forward? You know what I'm talking about? You know, if, if you have things coming up and you're, you're even thinking about the new year already, can you get some of that out of the way or should you before you break or really come back and pick it up from there? Yeah, I think you should definitely be looking forward as well as kind of trying to shelve off as much as you can from this side of the year as well. But one of the big tips I share to people is the wind down starts now, like today, if possible, even though we're a couple of weeks away. The things you do now will be your best friend the days before you you actually shut down before Christmas. So like some of the tips I would say would be that you let people know now your stakeholders, your customers, your people inside your office, what your dates for the period of Christmas are because some people are using up extra leave that they haven't used all all year. Mm. So you let people know now what your plans are. So then they're not emailing you at lastminute.com the day before you go off looking for things because that just incites stress when you're trying to plan and put things in play. But equally, while we're kind of reflecting back on what needs to be done before Christmas, it's also looking to those first few weeks in January, seeing what are we kind of kicking into January? What are we starting off when you come back? So it's not on your mind over Christmas as well. So I think it's twofold, Jerry. kind of the next couple of weeks and the first couple of weeks in January. If you can try and sort those two out, it will kind of give you some ease of mind over Christmas. What about people who aren't as organised as you and I <laughs> and, and can't plan? You know what I'm getting at? There are some people just, yeah. it, it, it's beyond them. What do you say to those people? Well, I, th- I think, Jerry, there's two types of people. There's the type of people who go to the supermarket and bring a shopping list and those that don't. True. <laughs> and this is exactly what it's like when it's planning for Christmas. Some of us, by personality type, are really into planning and organising. We plan for everything. We've got spreadsheets for everything. And that's our friend when we're kind of winding down for Christmas. For those that don't and are a bit of kind of the kind of spontaneity type of people, I would say try and flex that personality to really focus on planning for that Christmas wind down because if not, you'll find yourself really stretched towards the end. But also people who plan are very very good at making ground rules for themselves and making boundaries for themselves. And that's for people um, in work before Christmas, but also for family over Christmas as well. So what are your ground rules? And if you plan, it's much easier. If you don't plan, a lot of things kind of come in past your boundaries that you weren't expecting. Also, people who are good at planning can often be good at actually pushing back and saying no, especially to these kind of last minute unreasonable requests that come in before Christmas. And those people that are kind of that personality that go with the flow, unfortunately, they tend to accommodate a lot more of these things that come in. So it's all back to boundaries. And as you said there at the start, Jerry, we're working from home, a lot of us still, and our office is our home. So boundaries are so, so important. 
Yeah, because you can just be never off. It's as simple as that, if, if you allow that situation to arise. What about someone, uh, and I'm a devil for it, I have to say, always, you know, keeping an eye on the emails at all times. Now, look, at it is natural to us and part of our business here. That's just the way this thing works. But, you know, checking emails constantly, uh, staying in touch with stuff when really you should be off. How do you just, like, discipline yourself to do that? Yeah, and I think it's very role dependent. Like some people are in jobs that they have to keep tabs on things depending mm. on what role they're in. So it's not a one size fits all by any means. But if the building's not burning and we're not saving lives, I often say, do we really need to check emails? Some of us, unfortunately, Jerry, have an addiction. And it actually is an addiction that we're addicted to checking emails because we're worried about what's going on in that inbox that we don't know about. Now, I think there's a big difference in checking them all the time during Christmas and maybe checking them once before we go back. And I think that's that's not too bad if you check it the day before you're due to go back because then you know what's expected of your day the next day. But this periodically checking in, every time you do that, you're resetting your downtime all over again. You're resetting the clock each time because your head gets completely sucked into work. So what I often say to, to people is, that once you've laid the boundaries with your customers and stakeholders, if you're comfortable and you have a work mobile phone and that you put that on your out of office, if it's relevant and appropriate to the role that you do, because then at least you're contactable if an emergency happens. So again, it all depends on what you actually do for a living. Yeah, the out of office is important and you can explain a lot there. What about that last day when you are saying goodbye and, you know, you're off then for a period of time? You've got to put the out of office. That's a very important point to make as well. Anything else there? Yeah, well, the key thing is you do say goodbye. <laughs> to, you know, you yeah. say goodbye to everything for that time you're off. One of my biggest tips on the last day that you're working before you shut down for Christmas is not to have any meetings if possible. Because, you all, you know, Jerry, we always know when there's a meeting, there's always an action that comes out of it. And I've seen people really struggle last year, like they had three or four meetings on their last day. And they're working to midnight that night because they're trying to catch up on everything that came out of those meetings. So if possible, hold no meetings on your last day. So you're literally on your own clock and you're wrapping up doing your own stuff. And remember, people are always going to ask things because they need something. But every time you say yes to someone else, you're saying no to yourself. So again, it comes back to those boundaries, protecting your time and making sure you've got that day to wrap things up if you can. Now, this is our second COVID Christmas, as you mentioned. And when people reflect on this year, you know, there was a thought abroad that by this time with vaccinations and everything and normality returning, we'd be getting back to a a sense of what life was pre-March 2020. But that's not the case. What about that scenario of, you know, people sitting thinking, oh, my God, here we go. The second Christmas. Could there be another one? We haven't been in the office much. We haven't seen colleagues. We're working in this virtual world. Yeah, and it is the new normal, isn't it, Terry? This is, this is yep. what it is. So I think for people at this time of year, it's really important that you reflect back on your year, kind of before you break into that Christmas family kind of time. And what I mean by reflecting is some of us have really thrived this year. Some of us have gotten on totally fine and have really embraced this virtual type of work and our jobs are okay. And then flip it on the other side, some people have really struggled and can be out of work. So there's a real um, you know, differentiation between what's going on with people at the moment. So what I would say is that reflect on your year what do you want to stop doing that's not going to serve you well going into the next year? And it's a methodology called stop, start, continue. So what you want to stop doing, what you want to start doing next year and what you want to continue doing that's going to work well and has worked well for you this year. But it's very important we process what this year has given us, the good, the bad and the ugly. 
When you reflect, just before we go, on the last two years, Fiona, and you work with a lot of high-level people at corporate level, you work in, in the SME sector and across, and of course you work yourself, you're, you know, you're like all of us, you work, and, and your uh, position has changed as well, like many, many thousands of us as well. There have been positives, haven't there, as you say, and negatives to this whole thing of not going into the office. Yeah, yeah, there really has. Like, I mean, I absolutely do not miss the commute yeah. and running back to, to childcare and all this kind of thing. There's a huge positive that. I mean, you've heard me talk before, Jerry. I'm very pro hybrid. I think a mix of stuff ideally in 2022 would suit me perfectly and would suit a lot of people. But again, it's not a one size fits all. We're going to have to really see how that fits with individuals and companies and things. But we do need that connection and we do need that uh, mix and match of the working from home and a little bit of connection so it's going to be interesting to see what pans out early in the new year and um, I'm sure we'll be back talking about that as things unfold with the with the restrictions and government and things like that and not alone it's difficult for people who work for companies and businesses as well but it's difficult as well for people running businesses you know who are used to having people closer than their teams around them and I know they have it via Zoom mainly uh, since this whole thing happened but it, it, it is an adjustment in a mindset all round it is. And like a lot of leaders and managers have had so much on their shoulders during this time, Jerry. They really like they're they're really empathetic to their staff in general. Of course, there's ones out there that might not be. But in general, most leaders and managers I've, I've kind of been involved with over the last two years have really tried to care for their staff. And they miss that connection. They want to make sure everyone's OK. And they want to make sure that the business is fine, but the people are OK. And they're all about trying to make sure both are working OK. Fiona, listen, it's been great to have you with us uh, this last while on the show. Look forward to hearing from you in the new year because there's so many topics we can cover off as regards work and the workplace. I want to wish you a happy Christmas and all the best for 22. And thank you for joining us on Late Lunch. And you too, Jerry. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Fiona Buckley there, work behaviours, thought leader and woman who knows... Uh, well, she could write the book about HR. She really could. And please, God, she'll be back with us in the new year. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Monday afternoon on the run into Christmas. Yes, it is the run into Christmas. <laughs> Kylie Minogue and Christmas isn't Christmas I have that record of that show she did in the Royal Albert Hall and you know what Louise we played the backside off it every Christmas because it's a wonderful show she sings lots of Christmas songs and her hits as well what a show that was and you know she said whenever she gets the opportunity she'd love to go back and do that again at the Royal Albert Hall you'll be in the front row again I want tickets I want tickets (laughs) for that show she does again I really really do oh she's just something else she she really is did you see that story about the farmer who was killed in Mayo by the calving cow did you see yeah that's really sad in Eris in County Mayo I was speaking to Louise earlier I, I don't know whether I told you this on the show before but many moons ago uh, we had a lucky escape with a, a, a calving 
cow as well. It was a heifer, first time, you know, having her first time calf. And we went to, along to see it. Miriam wanted to see it. Miriam's a midwife and she wanted to see a cow calf. And we went to uh, Packy Phillips's farm. It was lived. He lived close by to where we were and she wanted to see it there. And we stood up on a wheelbarrow looking over the half door into the barn where she was agitated now, you know, about to have the calf. And uh, Packy was there and my late father, Brendan. I mean, she's the next thing, didn't she? Come out to go over the half door, Louise. She could have killed the pair of us. I had three broken fingers and, oh God, I had to be stitched on the hand and that as well. We were very, very lucky, actually. But uh, she was a heifer, you know, first time mammy. Yeah, And yeah. was really, and I afterwards... she didn't want anyone looking at yeah, her. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> she didn't know what the hell was going on. You know yourself when yeah. you have your first baby. But, uh, you know, we had a lucky escape. Just brought that all back to me when I read about that poor man who lost it. An experienced farmer as well. You know, he was. But it just shows you... The agri sector mm. and farms there. You are say dangerous. that cows are kind of responsible for a lot of death. Yeah, aren't they? well, it's you know, on farms. It, when you talk about farming altogether, you just have to have your wits about you all, all of the time. There's no doubt about that. Storm barrows on the way. You know that batten yeah. down the hatches. There's lots of heavy winds coming tonight and tomorrow. So you're anything loose, knock it around the place, secure it because it's going to get mighty windy for sure. That's uh, uh, for sure, folks. And the other thing, Louise, I was just uh, I was watching BBC Breakfast News early this morning. I see the UK are now bringing in more stringent laws. Drug, drug-related deaths are, have grown enormously. Okay. And especially in Scotland. But they're bringing in a raft of new measures over the next five to ten years. But there's an interesting one. You know, recreational drugs. Mm-hmm. A lot of people use cocaine and heroin and that recreationally. You know, a lot that you don't see or don't hear about. You know what I mean? Privately at parties and there's no, no bother buying this stuff or, or getting it or whatever. In the UK... They are now proposing that if you are caught using recreational drugs, you will lose your passport Ooh. and perhaps lose your driving license as well. You won't For be able to travel. A certain period. Well, period, they don't say, but mm. I, I'm saying they really are getting serious about this mm. and tough about this now because there is a market there for drugs. You know, it's huge. Yeah, and you know, you don't hear an awful lot about it. It's not the people who are down and out or struggling it, there's a huge the, the drugs industry is driven by wealth mm. it's driven by wealthy people who buy these drugs and use them recreationally and the UK now says we're going to take your passport off you we're going to take your driving licence off you and now it's getting serious now That's it's true. going to tackle the mm. issue it really is uh, and I, I, I compliment them on this and it'll be interesting to see uh, where this goes from here but it's Oh my God, if you get into the drug scenario and all the misery and death. Responsible and, for a lot of oh, misery and death. Horrendous. A lot of families. It, it really is horrendous. And the other thing, our friends in Italy, do you see this, have uh, tightened the laws today if you're not vaccinated against COVID. They have now in Italy said, sorry, you ain't going to re- restaurants, bars, you ain't going here, there, everywhere. This now is taken off across Europe, Louise. You know what I mean? Start in Austria, Germany, Italy today unvaccinated and you heard the t-shirt yesterday saying unvaccinated people are causing a a disproportionate amount of difficulty you know for our hospitals and uh, ICU units and and, and that as well so this is certainly something that's approaching and you know Did did I not hear on the news on our news yesterday about um, there has has been a lot of people now going for their first vaccine 10,000 people Mm. last week went for that and well done to them and I say that I don't want to see these draconian laws coming in. I really don't. But Jeepers, like, I say to you again, 
do get the vaccine. The vaccines are helping people uh, avoid serious illness. It really is. And others becoming really ill. And well done to those 10,000. So there are people still coming forward. And I encourage many people as possible to get the vaccine. I say it again here. I am pro-vaccine. I'm trebly vaccinated at this stage. And that's what I believe in. I believe in the science. My artist of the week this week is... Prince. Yes, Prince Rogers Nelson was born on the 7th of June 1958 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the son of a pianist and songwriter John Lewis Nelson and jazz singer mother Maddie Della. He had a younger sister called Tyka who was also talented musically. The young prince was trained in classical ballet. He was brilliant at it by all accounts at high school. And he was also a talented basketball and baseball player. However, music was in his DNA and in the mid-70s, his potential talent was recognised. Warner Brothers signed him up on an initial three-album deal. His first album was called For You and was released in April 78. It enjoyed moderate success. But here's something for you. That album, you see, Prince wrote, produced, arranged, composed and listen to this, played all 27 instruments on the recording all by himself on all but one track on the album. Incredible, really. He wasn't such a talented fellow. Album number two was simply called Prince After Himself. It was much bigger, selling over a million copies and yielding two R&B chart number ones. Into the 80s and the next album, Dirty Mind, courted controversy for its explicit nature. But it would be the release of the double album, 1999, in late 82, that really fired Prince's career. The title track brought him his first top 10 hit outside America. And my first Prince song of the week from that album was only the second music video made by a black artist after Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Here it is. Prince, my artist of the week. I guess I should know by the way you popped your car sideways at a wooden last. You're the other kind of person who believes in making out once, love them and leave them fast. I guess I must be done. Shed a pocket full of horses, Trojan and some of them used. It was Saturday night. I guess that makes it alright. That's Little Red Corvette from Prince, my artist of the week this week. Great song. Number six in the US charts, number two in the UK it made. And we'll have more about Prince in words and song around about this time tomorrow on Late Lunch. We love listening to what she has to say. Yes, our Sinead Burke brings us her banter from time to time on Late Lunch. And today is a really poignant one from Sinead. Here we go. There are times when I wish I had never heard of Vicky Phelan. Maybe in a parallel world, we might have got talking up at a gig in Dublin. In fairness, she does look like great crack. We might have had the chat in that giddy, delighted with ourselves way women our age tend to have on a rare night out, away from the kids and enjoying live music. But other than that imaginary chance encounter while queuing for the toilets in Vicar Street, I wish I had never heard of her existence. That instead of being the bravest woman in Ireland, 
She was just a mam, rushing to get the big shop done before school pick-up, worrying over bills and annoyed about yet another thing that didn't record on the Sky Player. But I have heard of her. Because the system broke down for her and now I know who she is. I follow her on Instagram. I read about her in the papers. And I try to tune in when I know she's going to be on television. And having her in my life, in the same distant yet intimate way she is now in all our lives, brings up some strong and difficult emotions. I am devastated for her and her family. I am in awe at her strength and her grace and her good humour. I am furious that this happened to her and so many other Irish women. And I am frustrated and angry that this nightmare is still not over for the victims of cervical check and their families. It's hard to take the emotion out of this. You would have needed to have a heart of stone not to be moved listening to Vicky on The Late Late Show. Tell us how she just wants to make it to Christmas. But if some justice is ever going to be won for her and the hundreds of other women affected, we need to remember the facts. We need to keep them clear in our heads so as a country we know what went wrong, why it went wrong and how it can never be allowed to happen again. Following a cervical screening in 2011, Vicky Phelan was told that her results were normal. In 2014, an audit of 10 smear tests, including Vicky's, showed that there had been a misdiagnosis. These results were never disclosed to her or her doctor. In the same year, she had a second smear. The results showed possible cancer. Her doctor was told these results in 2016. Vicky herself wasn't told until 2017. In 2018, after Vicky won her court case and went public, she learned that of the initial 10 smears that were audited in 2014, of which she was one, three of those women had since died. This year, 2021, there are currently 310 cervical check cases still in our court system. 77 of these cases were only lodged this year. 38 of these cases involve women who have already died. A separate special tribunal was set up in October 2020, so women and their families would not have to deal with the adversarial nature of a courtroom. The fit-out of the new offices of this tribunal cost €1,627,645. The annual rent cost €303,144. There's an additional €112,315 in service charges. To date, this tribunal has only heard eight cases. The independent review of cervical check, headed up by Dr Gabriel Scali, cost £1.13 million. This is the same review Tony Houlihan advised the government not to carry out. In June, Dr Houlihan received the Freedom of Dublin. More than 1,000 women have been affected by cervical check misdiagnosis. So far, over 38 women have died. Vicky Phelan 
should not have to go on national media to share her medical history with the nation. Neither should have had the late Emma McNahuna or Patricia Carrick or all the sick but brave women who spoke about their most private affairs in radio and television studios or on the front steps of courts. But they did, and it can't be for nothing. If anything is to come out of this travesty, it must be certainty that from now on Irish women can have trust in our medical services. That we will be treated with enough respect to be sure that scientists and labs and local GPs will not be holding back life-threatening information from us. And if anything does go wrong and settlements do need to be made, sick women or bereaved families will not be stalled in the courts for years. I hope Vicky Phelan has a comfortable and happy Christmas. I hope she and all the other warrior women who have bravely shared their stories and stood up against this national wrong know how grateful we are to them for their courage. And again, I wish I had never heard of Vicky Phelan. Powerful, isn't it? From our Sinead, Sinead Burke with our banter today on a serious note, finishing off our show. I thank her for it. She's so perceptive and we enjoy hearing from her on Late Lunch. Thanks, Sinead. And we think of Vicky Phelan and all those other women around the country today. Now, tomorrow on Late Lunch, Paul Miner, Professor Paul Miner, is back with us on the show. David Sheehan, our man on sport every Friday, is here on a Tuesday this week because he's a brilliant new book out about Dublin football heroes. And we hear about a very, we hear about a lovely story from a good Samaritan in Navin. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Have yourselves a nice Monday. We leave you in the company of Mr. Niall Horan. See you tomorrow. I'll be honest. I'm alright with me. Sunny mornings in my own bed. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.